right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we're not doing that. It's one of our annual midway through the year top 10 so far lists. And that means that Josh Bell from Awesome Movie Year is back with us. And we're going to get into a whole bunch of movies that we love this year. We're also going to get into some picks from the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group, which, by the way, if you're not a member of, uh, you know, the other social media sites have been just absolutely nosediving lately, but you should join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, and get in on the conversation over there. Uh, but if the other social media sites are working, you should follow us over there too, at Pod. And of course, make sure you are subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Before we get into the conversation, I do want to remind you that we do have a Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, which includes bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together, Awesome Movie Year, that's Josh's podcast, and from my music career. And right now there's a bunch of advanced episodes of Piecing It Together you can get in there. Uh, and I'll be releasing a special uh, exclusive film score in there in a week from now, week or two, something like that, but it's coming this month. So uh, you should, if you're interested in getting some advanced and exclusive content, check it out. It's patreon.com slash by David Rosen. So with that said, let's get into our top 10 so far of 2023. It's that time again. Josh Bell is with us to talk about our favorite movies at the midway point. It's 2023 so far. Josh, how you doing? I am doing great. Uh, you know, busy as always, but, uh, you know, happy to be talking to you about some of our favorite movies. We get to reminisce on the year that's been so far. Yeah, it's been a little disappointing to me, I think. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we, in the past few years, we've done these episodes and I've had a lot of enthusiasm for a lot of movies that have ended up kind of holding their places in my mm -hmm. list all the way through to the end of the year. And uh, some of those this time maybe will, but I, I feel like I, I had more of a struggle to come up mm. with a list for this than I have in past years. And maybe I just haven't been seeing the right movies. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like my list, uh, and we'll you know get into it as we're going through, seems to strangely be filled with a lot of just ridiculous over-the-top action comedy you know like mainstream populist just you know that kind of stuff so whether or not that's all gonna hang around by the end of the year is you know really up for debate but you know that being said i've really enjoyed these movies that are on my list and i i can easily go into a top 20 that's how much i've found a lot that i've liked but it's been a certain kind of like for sure yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed these movies. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I'm going to recommend a bunch of movies that I don't really recommend, but mm -hmm. I think this was this was testing the limits of how many movies I really did enjoy that much yeah. thus far this year. So Fair enough, yeah. fair enough. Well, we'll also get into some honorable mentions at the end and also mention some uh, picks from the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group, but let's get into our list. What do you have for number 10? All right, so my number 10 pick is a Chinese film called Are You Lonesome Tonight? It's a sort of noir-ish story, I guess you could say, um, about this uh, man who gets himself embroiled in a very complicated underworld uh, sort of 
I guess he's sort of in like the crossfire of these uh, people fighting with each other. And, you know, in this in this noir sense. But the core of it is this guy who accidentally or believes that he has accidentally hit and killed someone with his car and he runs away from the scene of the crime and then he feels guilty and he ends up befriending the widow of the woman or the of the man that he killed without her knowledge. And so it's got that kind of dynamic to it. Um, but in the meantime, the man that he s believed that he killed was involved in some sort of shady crime dealings and the people who uh, that guy was connected with are after this guy. But it's got a lot of cool atmosphere. It sounds kind of confusing and it is kind of confusing, <laughs> but um, it's it's very it, it's an interesting combination of that kind of noir style and something sort of woozy and romantic, almost like a Wong Kar Wai movie. And it's not exactly a romance between these main characters, between the main guy and the, the widow, but they do have this, this emotional connection. So it's, it's, uh, it takes place over a long period of time, and it kind of goes in a bunch of directions you wouldn't necessarily expect, but it always keeps your interest, and it looks really cool. So uh, Are You Lonesome Tonight is what it's called, and it does feature that Elvis song performed uh, on karaoke <laughs> by somebody as well. Nice, nice. Yeah, it sounds interesting. I, I don't know much about this film, and uh, it definitely sounds like very twisty and very, uh, I don't know, kind of like weird and, and uh, you know, mysterious and whatnot. And so, uh, yeah, it sounds like one worth checking out when I get around to that. So great first pick there. Um, I'm going to go for number 10 with something that really surprised me because I, I don't think that I really expected much out of it, but uh, it, it's a big one uh, this weekend and who knows how big it's going to be, but uh, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is my number 10 directed by James Mangold and of course, you know, we'll hopefully be the final Indiana Jones movie. I mean, you know, you never know with Hollywood and especially with Disney, but um, I, I've never been the biggest Indiana Jones fan. I, I like the Indiana Jones movies. Uh, I actually like the video games more than the movies, but um, you know, and of course the score, but this to me was everything that I like about Indiana Jones movies. And I know the last one, Crystal Skull, has such a bad reputation. I always thought that was fine. You know, I, I never thought it was bad necessarily. Uh, I thought it was kind of ridiculous. But I think the whole series is ridiculous. And it's kind of, as the series has gone on, it's just leaned into that more and more. And this one is leaning into that even more so. And it feels a lot like watching those, you know, old 80s and 90s action adventures that everybody kind of looks at with like this nostalgic lens of like, they were so perfect and pristine and everything about them was, was set up in exactly the right way, but really they were kind of scrappy and ridiculous too at the time. It's just, we think about them, you know, through that lens, but uh, yeah, I, I really had a great time with this movie and it made my list. Yeah. I enjoyed it too. I, I think it seems like it's gotten mixed response, maybe more mm -hmm. positive than crystal skull overall, but still a lot of people didn't like it. And I, I did. I had fun with it. I, I think I agree with most of what you're saying. And I'm sort of a casual fan of these movies as well. I remember thinking Crystal Skull was fine. And I mm -hmm. think this was probably more enjoyable. But um, it's not on my top 10 list. But I certainly had a nice time with it. So uh, I'm with you on that. Right on. What do you got for number nine? So my number nine is a movie that we talked about here on the old Piecing It Together podcast that I know you liked so uh, a lot, so I may come up on your list later. I don't know. It's hard to predict you, Dave. But, yes, true. Um, <laughs> it's Brandon Cronenberg's Infinity Pool from the very, very beginning of the year, 
like the second week of January or something, yeah. I think was when this movie came out right after Sundance. Um, and it's some weird shit, but in a good way. I mean, I've, I've had quite a Brandon Cronenberg year. We did an episode of awesome movie year on antiviral, his first film. And then I ended up watching it again a few months later to write an article about it. So I've really kind of immersed myself in his, his style, which of course is similar to his father, David Cronenberg, but it's got its own kind of flavor to it. And I feel like infinity pool, even though, yeah, it's kind of similar to his other work. It's also refining it further. It's another movie in this sort of trend of dark films about the nasty underbelly of the super overprivileged. Um, mm. But it takes it in this more weird, surreal sci-fi direction, which I always appreciate. Mia Goth is fantastic in this film. And, you know, she's been on a roll lately with the stuff that she's been doing. And I, I love the weirdness, the body horror of it. And just the way that it completely commits to the complete insanity. And so it's a movie that has moments that will definitely stick with you as long as, you know, for quite a while after you see it. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, it will appear uh, later in my list. Um, I, I definitely love that movie. So I'm glad it made your list as well. Um, I will go to my number nine, which I got to give a quick shout out though, because this was a last minute edition, a movie I watched last night. And so it knocked Mafia Mama out of the number 10 spot for me. So, <laughs> oh. so sorry to Mafia Mama. No uh, apologies but... to Mafia. You know what? <laughs> I wanted to have a debate about Mafia Mama though. Well, it's my number one honorable mention. All so right. My number 11 movie. Yeah. But uh, number nine, Past Lives, uh, which I'm sure will make a lot of top 10 lists this year. Uh, even coming to the end of the year, I'm sure it'll still be there for a lot of people. But uh, directed by Celine Song. And, uh, you know, it's really pretty much as good as everybody's kind of, you know, making it out to be. I mean, this movie is... Uh, you know, it's it's beautiful. It's incredibly acted. The performances are just so fantastic, and I I think that what it has to say about you know relationships and and about possibilities of relationships uh, is really almost more interesting than what happens the plot itself and uh it's something that i feel like i'll be thinking about for a long time after watching it last night and uh on all of the technical levels is like really beautifully made as well i mean it looks incredible the score is fantastic and uh yeah i mean it, there's really not much negative i could say about this movie it really just uh kind of swept me away and i think you know not the oscars or everything but i mean looking over my top 10 here unless they create a stunts category for john wick uh this is probably the only thing for my list that has any kind of shot this year chad stahelski is working very very hard to make that happen so <laughs> yes. it may it may get there and it's deserved yeah yeah <laughs> uh this is a movie that will will come up later on my list so i'll uh hold my further comments till then <laughs> Sounds good. Right on. What do you have uh, for number eight? So my number eight is a Shudder original film that I didn't have much expectations for, although Shudder, I feel like as far as streaming services go, has a pretty decent record with their originals. But I thought this movie just really was very effective at what it was trying to do. It's called Influencer from uh, writer and director Curtis David Harder. And, and I think, honestly, like the two movies that I've mentioned thus far, one of the great things about this film is how it kind of keeps swerving and it keeps you on your toes. It doesn't do just what you expect it to do at all times. 
Um, Cassandra No, who is the, the main star of this, although doesn't necessarily appear to be the main star when the movie begins. Mm -hmm. And uh, she plays this sort of talented Mr. Ripley type figure who is living as an expat in Thailand and and kind of stalking or befriending these social media influencers who come to this country to engage in these luxury travel experiences and post about them online. And she kind of adopts these identities and sort of messes with these people to a to a psychopathic degree. I don't want to say too much because, again, part of the enjoyment of this movie is how the plot keeps going in directions that you don't expect. But sure. I think it's really it's really smart about this whole social media influencer world without being I think a lot of movies, especially like horror movies or thrillers about that would just be very heavy handed about like, oh, this is so terrible. And it's not that way at all. It's not judgmental person who's the villain, but also the protagonist. And I, I just thought it was really clever. And and I again, I didn't quite know what to expect out of it. And it stayed with me for a long time afterwards. So it's on Shudder. It's called Influencer. Right on. Yeah, I didn't like it as much as you did, but uh, on my letterbox review, I said, as far as the talented Mr. Ripley meets Ingrid Goes West movies go, this one isn't bad. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I had a good time with it. It's uh, it's pretty good. And yeah, people that are Shutter fans should definitely check it out. So, yeah, um, my number eight is also tech related. Uh, and Spoiler alert for my list, but uh, in a year with a lot of true stories of brands movies, um, I have two of them on my list. And uh, the first one is Blackberry uh, from director Matt Johnson, which I really did not expect much out of this movie. But man, it really uh, was fun. It was uh, riveting and has some great performances, mainly Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, who just is uh, a real big surprise for this year to have like just such a, a powerhouse standout performance like this. And uh, it's just a great, weird, true story that uh, I was obviously we're, we're of that age where we were around for all this stuff. And so it's like interesting to like kind of get further details to stuff that we kind of knew about, you know, just, you know, exactly how the rise and fall of BlackBerry all went down with uh, the, the advent of iPhones coming in and just basically wiping the floor with them, even though they had practically 100% market share up until that point. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, an interesting film. And as kind of a tech nerd guy myself, like it was like really fun to kind of dig into some of the references and and some of the companies that are explored in the film and all the things that like i said were like just outside of like my knowledge of these companies but like to like get more details of it all was really cool yeah i wish i liked this movie mm -hmm. everyone likes this movie yeah. and <laughs> i like literally everyone I, I you know like on i wrote a review of it on and i posted it on rotten tomatoes and it was like one of two negative reviews out of 100 or something and at some point Ron Tomatoes like flipped it to positive somehow, and I had to go they back in and change it. I don't know what happened with that. I was gonna <laughs> gonna reach out to them like it was some kind of conspiracy, but then it held. But no, I had I actually had high expectations because I heard such great things about this, and I think the idea, like you said, there's these these brand movies that that have all come out this year, and the idea of doing it in this more like darkly comedic tone to me seemed great. Like I would love something like that. That's not just a boosterism for some sort of corporate, you know, entity or whatever. Yeah. And I don't know, people talk about like Glenn Howerton's performance here. 
I found it so one note and so irritating and not in a way of like, oh, how fascinating it is that this guy is a jerk, but like, please get this guy off my screen immediately. <laughs> and I just like the first 40 minutes of this movie, I remember pausing it and thinking, this is just, I hate this. And then wow. I kind of got a little more on its wavelength as it went along and I appreciate the approach, but yeah, it's just, I don't know. It did not work at all for me, but I seem to be basically the only one on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're right. Cause like, seriously, everybody else that I know seems to have like really connected with it. And, uh, I, I don't know. I, I had such a good time with this one. So I guess it's not for everybody though. Yeah, but it seems like it almost is except yeah, for me. Exactly. What do you got for number seven? <laughs> what do I have for number seven? My number seven pick is Rye Lane. The wonderful, really just, you want to have like a fun time at the movies and just be like smiling the entire time and feel good about humanity for a short, tiny window of time sure. before you return to the real world. <laughs> you can watch this film. Uh, a great debut from Rain Allen Miller, the director, and excellent performances from these two stars, David Johnson and Vivian Opara. Uh, all of whom I was not familiar with. I think those these actors have done some some TV work in in the UK, but not people that I had seen before. And it's you know it's compared a lot to uh, Before Sunrise because it takes place essentially over the course of a single day as these two characters uh, kind of walk around a city. In this case, they're walking around London, which is where they live, so it's not quite the same. And they're encountering a lot of people that they know, and it's a really sort of vibrant look at this community as well as just these two people who are kind of falling in love it's a lot more comedic i mm -hmm. think than before sunrise and yet it still has those strong emotions i mean you really get to know these characters you really get invested in the romance that they're building and they're just so likable and they're just so fun to spend time with it's also very visually inventive it uses these fisheye lenses which can be a bit jarring as a visual style but i think it, it fits with the story, which is it's almost like the camera is bursting to take in as much as it possibly can of this neighborhood and of these these people who have these big personalities and the the locations that they go to and the costumes, the set design, it's all very colorful. And it's just, you know, it's not it's completely predictable. But if you like romantic comedies, it's really like the best example of how to make a good romantic comedy. Yeah, it's great. It definitely makes my honorable mentions. And uh, yeah, I, the comedy aspect is really funny. Like, it's really well done. Um, the the ex's new boyfriend is so funny. Um, what a great character. And this is a movie that uh, came out, you know, at the end of every Piecing It Together, I always ask my guests, you know, if there is a movie they want to recommend to our listeners. And this came up like five or six times, I think, <laughs> this year. And so obviously right. this one is uh, making its mark. And I think it's one that people talking about for a while so yeah great pick yeah. um my number seven so you know sometimes i include these movies that are a little hard to separate from the theatrical experience that i had watching them. maybe it's not you know quite the best movie in the world but i had so much fun watching this movie it had to make my list and that is megan uh from director gerard johnstone and writer akila cooper of course of Me of uh malignant um but this movie yes is uh, a little hampered by not having the full r rating so it couldn't go quite malignant style gore you know in that department 
but when it turns it on is so funny and being a part of that crowd the first week of January when this came out and just laughing along as this just totally ridiculous you know play on Chucky does all these just ridiculous things and the dancing and the killing and the making little sassy quips and remarks and when her hair gets all messed up and like it's just it's so ridiculous and I had so much fun watching this movie uh, I had to include it yeah, it is a fun movie. I saw it at the drive-in, so I mean, I sort of had a theatrical experience, but you can't always judge the reactions of other people from that. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I had I had fun with it. I I love Megan herself as a as a horror villain and horror icon. Uh, I mean, shout out to those actors whose names I'm I'm not familiar with, but there were t- you know there's a voice actor and then sure. there was a movement actor, and both of them are excellent, and they kind of combine to really make that character work. I know there's the unrated version is streaming on Peacock, so it's possible that that uh, makes up for some shortcomings there that you're mentioning, but I haven't actually bothered to watch it again. Yeah, I haven't gotten a chance either, but uh, from what I hear, it's just all, you know, a couple drops here and there. But uh, um, one of these days, I'm going to give it a rewatch and see, though, in that unrated version for sure. Yeah. But uh, what do you got for number six? So my number six is, I'm pretty sure, the most obscure thing that I'm going to pick. And this is, on the one hand, evidence of of my efforts to stretch to fill the list. But on the other hand, this is a really good movie that I feel like more people should watch. And it's a movie starring Casper Van Dien. I never mm. would have thought that Casper Van Dien would make my top 10 list. But wow. it's called Daughter. And um, it is a fascinating, really unsettling I you know I suppose you would call it a horror movie but it's almost at times like a domestic drama and you don't entirely know what the situation is but Casper Van Dien plays the the patriarch of this family that is also possibly sort of a cult and is apocalyptic in a way and it's one of these movies where the character says something is true it actually reminds me of a movie that I know you like a lot which is uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane where you're spending the entire time not sure if what this character claims has happened to the outside world has really happened. So Casper Van Dien is the patriarch of this family, and he says, you know, the outside world has collapsed and is dangerous and we must stay in our house. And this doesn't seem to really be true, but he has sort of convinced these people who he calls his family, who are really people that he's kidnapped, um, (laughs) That this is what's going on. And in particular, he has this this son who he is grooming to be what he claims is like the savior of humanity and is like he keeps taking his blood to process. And it's a lot of mysterious stuff that you don't entirely know what's going on and you never entirely know. And it's from the perspective of this woman who gets kidnapped at the beginning and is now the daughter of this family mm. and her efforts to kind of escape and figuring out the weird uh, worldview of this guy. And Casper Van Dien is so creepy and so scary in this film, but yet mesmerizing. Like, you can believe that he could convince these people, even if it's 100% not true, that he's right about what's going on. So it's one of these movies that you have to kind of immerse yourself in it and be just as bewildered as the characters are. But the world building is great. And it's a very low-budget film. It's essentially shot just in some very nondescript house. It's not a sci-fi post-apocalyptic thing. It's just this very beige-looking suburban house that they claim is the only safe place now in the world. So 
Uh, I didn't have any expectations going into this. I mean, a thriller starring Casper Van Dien, my expectations were probably as low as they possibly <laughs> sure, could be. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's also proof that this guy who is a punchline, who is known for just being in these terrible B-movies all the time, if given a really good role and working with a good filmmaker, uh, Corey Deshawn is the name of the writer-director, you know, can can deliver an excellent performance. So it's a movie that I hope more people will check out. I'm sure people have not heard of it, but it's available on demand. It's called Daughter. Yeah, I've never heard of it, like you said. And uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane sounds like a good comparison to what you just described. I was also thinking while you were talking about uh, Yorgos Lanthimos's dog tooth. Mm. Which, absolutely uh, yes. probably a lot weirder i would imagine <laughs> but uh in this actually vein, comes though. close to how weird dogtooth is nice at times yeah nice well that sounds really good i'm gonna have to check that out uh my number six uh also a little bit uh you know off the beaten path uh it's a marvel movie called guardians of the galaxy volume <laughs> three uh what i don't know what, the, what is that <laughs> from director james gunn um you know superhero movies have been having a little bit of a rough go lately uh they either are critically not working out or box office wise or both um you know and i definitely have not liked a lot of them uh but this has definitely been the shining standout of all the different companies putting out superhero movies this really kind of recaptured exactly what there is to have fun with with these movies and uh is like a perfect conclusion to the trilogy of guardians of the galaxy films which i felt too was not quite as good as the first one i think this is right back like on par with the first one and uh you know with the mcu kind of in a free fall at the moment like the rest of their films just haven't felt like they were like doing anything necessarily worthwhile uh this one gives you all the laughs the action the effects just all the superhero stuff that you want to see in one of these movies um he really kind of brought it yeah i don't i mean i thought it was fine i i i didn't get to that level of enjoyment i know my uh awesome movie year co-host jason harris also liked this i think as much as you did and I like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. I like the previous ones. I agree the second one wasn't quite as good as the first one. But I don't know. I guess I just felt like he's done this shtick now three times and it's kind of all the same. And the level of sentimentality on these in these movies, I think, just kind of got to me after a while. It, it, it is felt... very sentimental. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I do have a question before we go to the next one. Is yeah. there a superhero movie you liked more this year? Yes. But oh, so. I mean, I could put in my honorable mentions. Oh, okay. So, it didn't make uh, your top 10, but uh, honorable no, mentions maybe. No, no superhero movies in my top 10. Mm-hmm. And and I think in general, I you know, even if I, I throw this one in my honorable mentions, it was like, yeah, you know, it was fun. But yeah. I mean, I, I could do with, I like, I grew up reading superhero comics. I was like a massive superhero fan my entire childhood. And at this point I was like, you know, if they made no superhero movies for the next decade, <laughs> I'd be fine with it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, what do you got for number five? So uh, my number five is the kind of movie that I typically have no interest in, but I'm glad that I ended up watching this. It's a, you know, celebrity bio documentary, still a Michael J. Fox movie, which is an mm. Apple TV plus original. And, you know, so many of these movies are really just, here's this famous person and how great they are, you know, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. they're not really creative in any way cinematically. And if you're a fan of the person, you might enjoy it. But otherwise, there's really no reason for anybody to watch it. And I kind of imagine that that might be the same thing here. And in a way, it is, certainly. It's definitely not a movie that is like challenging your perceptions about who Michael J. Fox is per se. 
Um, but the way that this movie is put together by director Davis Guggenheim is to me really remarkable and something that I at least had not seen in other documentaries like this. And we have, you know, of course we have these interviews with Michael J. Fox and we have some scenes, sort of candid scenes of him in his life. And, you know, he deals with Parkinson's disease, which he's been dealing with for the past 30 years. But as he recounts his life story, I mean, they starting way back in his childhood and going through his whole, his career and his dealing with this disease. And they show clips from all of his work, his TV shows and his films, and not just in a typical way where he says, oh, then I was on Family Ties and here's a clip from Family Ties. But they use it almost to recontextualize these these clips and make them tell the story that he's telling. So mm -hmm. instead of Family Ties demonstrating how he was on Family Ties, it's a clip from Family Ties or a clip from one of his movies that manages to illustrate the things that he was doing in his life. And mm -hmm. it was just a really fascinating to me way of telling this story that I had not seen before. And it makes you see these films, if you've seen Back to the Future or you watch Family Ties or some of these really, really famous things that he's done, it makes you look at them in a completely new light and through the lens of what was going on in his personal life and the things that he was struggling with, especially early on with his Parkinson's diagnosis and trying to hide that. And then as he was struggling with addiction and all this stuff. So it's just, I feel like these movies are often just like this could be a news magazine or something. And mm -hmm. this was a very, very cinematic portrayal of this kind of thing. So even if you feel like, hey, I've read about Michael J. Fox, I know what his whole deal is. This is a movie that's worth watching as a movie uh, on Apple TV, still a Michael J. Fox movie. Right on. Yeah, that's I haven't watched it yet. It's definitely on my list of things that I've been wanting to get around to. And, uh, you know, I, I hadn't even thought uh, about looking at my list of documentaries that I've seen this year. I might have included Jason Isbell running with our eyes closed if I had, um, which was a fantastic documentary. But, um, yeah, no docs on my list, though, this year so far. But we'll see at the end of the year, maybe. Yeah, I usually don't end up. I mean, I'm sort of a, a casual documentary viewer at best, but certain yeah. ones like this, they just grab me. And it really did. Right on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Number five on my list. I don't care what anyone says. I loved it. Uh, it's a little movie called Fast X. Uh, <laughs> Fast 10, Dave. Don't mispronounce it. Fast 10, whatever. It's from director Louis Leterrier, and uh, it's just absolutely just nonsense ridiculous so much fun of, of course this series can't get any more ridiculous but they keep trying but the thing that makes this one stand out from if maybe if you're somebody who's kind of on the fence and had kind of given up on these movies because they got so ridiculous the thing that brings it all home is jason momoa who is one of the most fun villains I've seen in a movie in recent years, just completely unhinged, totally going for it with just absolute insanity. And uh, th there's a scene where he is just sitting with a couple of corpses and painting their toenails and just talking to them. And uh, the fact that that made it into a $200 million movie, um, I, I, I don't even know how that's possible. I threw up my hands in the theater and said, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> and that's what I go to the movies for. Okay. <laughs> Josh, Josh could not handle Fast 10. No, I like, and my feeling on these movies is always bewilderment because the, the, the sort of trajectory of the response has been dismissal. And then suddenly they became critically acclaimed somewhere in the middle. And mm -hmm. now I feel like they've fallen off. 
And to me, they're all just the same level of garbage. And I don't really understand the distinction between the good ones and the bad ones. Yeah, I've yeah. seen almost all of them and I don't like any of them. Um, yeah, Jason Momoa was fine, I guess, in this. I mean, he's trying to bring something different. But I feel like people, especially that scene with the corpses, I've seen like social media posts about like, oh, my God, you'll never believe like people are way overstating how like crazy and, uh, uh, you know, awesome that scene is or whatever. Oh, I, I lost it in the theater. I was so just in on that. It's so ridiculous. But uh, yeah, I, I do agree. Uh, it, it's it's difficult, I would say, for an outsider looking in to understand what the good ones are versus the bad ones. I, I mean, and just every like Momoa aside, every terrible, stupid thing that these movies do is on display in this movie to like an even greater degree. I mean, the way that they turn the bad guys into their friends, like what they do with John Cena's character in this movie is just like an unforgivable, like screenwriting atrocity. See? <laughs> and, and what you just said, that's why this is a good one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let, let's leave it there then, I guess. Yes, absolutely. Uh, what do you got for number four? So my number four is Past Lives. Uh, as you brought up earlier, Celine Song's uh, romantic drama. Greta Lee, come on. This oh, has got to be a best yeah. actress uh, top contender here in this film. And this is a movie that I think has been so highly acclaimed since it's been playing at festivals that I went into with like super high expectations. And it's such a small scale story that I feel like it doesn't benefit from these expectations that we're now, you know, helping to, yeah, sure, in, you know, increase. But I mean, it is just this story about three people and their ro ro relationships, romantic relationships, but also, you know, their history, the childhood friendship and all this stuff. And it's done in a very understated way. And I think this was a movie that at first I was sort of like not fully drawn into it, even though it was, it was good. It didn't sort of wow me. And I think part of it is the cumulative power of it that you get to the end of the movie and all of the dynamics of what has happened and the way she structures the story has kind of come together. Yeah. For me, it really, uh, reached me fully. There's a scene with Greta Lee's character and John Magaro, who is her husband and they're they're in bed together and they're kind of discussing the strange situation they've ended up in with her childhood uh, sort of first love who's come back to visit. And they're just it's just such an honest, open discussion and the kind of thing I feel like you don't see in these kinds of movies that have, quote unquote, love triangles that you would just have these characters like lying to each other or, or, or pretending that they don't feel what they feel. And I that moment, I was just like blown away by how well it's written, how well it's acted. And it's just again, it's just them lying in a bed. It's not shot in any sort of amazing way, although this movie does look beautiful. Sure. Um, but the way the performances are, um, you know, it really reaches you. And I think it's been compared a million times to the before movies and, uh, you know, to go back to Rylane. Sure. Um, and, and, and I think this is more in line with those movies than Rylane is that if you like films like that, that are really, I love the theme of regret. You know, to me, I'm going to be more drawn into a movie that's about a relationship that didn't happen yeah, than sure. about a relationship that did. Cause I feel like, I don't know that, that emotion for whatever speak for whatever reason speaks to be more. So if that's something that really like hits you with those before movies, this, I think this movie will really hit you as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I I'm sure as more and more people Finding it, everybody is going to be loving this film. So, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised it made both of our lists. Uh, number four for me, I said I had another one of these true stories of 
brands on my list, and it is Tetris from director John S. Baird. Uh, now, you know, I try not to get into the whole nostalgia game when it comes to movies. You know, everybody is just completely ruled by Star Wars and superheroes and Ghostbusters or whatever. Like, but when it comes to Nintendo and Game Boy and Tetris, I mean, that's my nostalgia. And this tapped in 1000% to everything I lived through when I was like nine years old when the Game Boy came out and it just like imprinted on me and became like the most important thing in the world. And I was a regular reader of every single video game magazine, Nintendo Power, Game Pro, Electronic Gaming Monthly. So I knew like little sidebar bits about some of this stuff. But the true story is so crazy. And of course, it's, you know, dramatized a little bit here and there, uh, especially when things go 8-bit and uh, insane. But, um, you know, it's just such a fun, ridiculous story. And uh, Taron Edgerton is great in the lead here, as is the rest of the cast. And one of my favorite scores of the year from Lauren Balfe. Really great stuff all around. And as a video game fan, just uh, total memory lane here. Yeah, I didn't see this one, actually. I uh, think I maybe had enough of the brand movies and Fair reviews enough. on this There's were been a, a bit lot. mixed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, I was curious, too. And I think it was it was also partly, I think, the week that it came out. I just was busy and there were other new movies. And so I didn't get to it. And then it falls by the wayside. But I'm, you know, I'm not a video game person, but I briefly was during exactly this period. Like I did have the Game Boy and I love playing Tetris. And that's the kind of game I still like, those puzzle type games. I never, I can't get into long quests or sure. games that take, you know, 15, 30, whatever hours to finish and have very detailed story. But, you know, just a little like move the block over here that yes. I can do. Um so I, you know, I, I maybe would enjoy this. And I did even read some of those magazines. I had a letter printed in the Sega magazine. I can't remember what nice. it was called now, but I still have that magazine somewhere. <laughs> um, and the t-shirt they sent me. Oh, but awesome. uh, so maybe I would enjoy this. I don't know, but I haven't, I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Right on. Well, I look forward to hearing what you think if you do get around to it. But what do you got for number three? Well, my number three is a movie that I know that you didn't care for. Uh, it's Nicole Hall of Seners, uh, You Hurt My Feelings with Julie yeah. Louis-Dreyfus, uh, Tobias Menzies, Michaela Watkins, who's a super underrated actor, I think. And I love Nicole Hall of Seners. I wish she made movies more often. I'm sure she'd like to. I'm sure it's not always easy for her to get funding for her kinds of films, which are stories about just normal people doing normal stuff. And not mm -hmm. a lot seems to happen in these films. But I and this is maybe the most one of that, I don't know. I mean, the quote, the sort of inciting incident of this film is so minor. Right. And as much as it like means something to the characters, even the characters don't like obsess over it as much as you would imagine for a movie that is theoretically about this incident where Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character overhears her husband, Tobias Menzies, say that uh, she's a writer and she's been struck you know she's been struggling with this new book that she's writing and he's read all of these drafts and has encouraged her and he reveals he mentions to his friend that he actually didn't like her book and he lied to her about that mm -hmm. and it's this white lie to reassure her because he loves her and he wants her to succeed and this kind of sends her into a tailspin a bit but not to the degree i feel like you could make a version of this movie that was sort of a uh, you know, curb your enthusiasm sure. comedy where she just goes completely insane over this small little uh, white lie or whatever. And that's not what it is. But I feel like that's what I like about it is that it's a more realistic response. 
And it's about these people who do love each other. It's not like it destroys their marriage or something. It, it, it is a small issue that they need to address that helps them to understand each other better. And it's part of one, it's one plot in this movie that's also about Michaela Watkins as, as Julia Louis-Dreyfus's sister and her relationship, you know, her husband who's an actor and has some of these similar kinds of insecurities that Julia Louis-Dreyfus has. It's about their relationship with their son and just a lot of really real feeling kinds of stories about middle-aged people and what they deal with. And, and I love that about all of her films. I think if you like any of her other movies, this is another one to really like. She works so well with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And again, I just hope she makes more movies and they make more movies together. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't hate it. I, I you know, you mentioned with uh, with past lives, like the the problem with, uh, you know, the overhype of some of these films. And I think in the lead up to this movie, uh, a lot of the reactions were like this. You know, you hurt my feelings is just laugh out loud, hilarious. And I'm like this is like a light chuckle, like at best, you know? And so I think maybe expectations going into it just weren't exactly right. Uh, but, you know, Michaela Watkins is awesome. And so I can definitely agree with you on that part. Yeah. And I, I agree with you that it's not a laugh out loud movie. I mean, I didn't have a problem with that. I don't think it's trying to be. I don't think it's a movie with a bunch of big jokes that fall flat. Yeah. I think it's a movie with a lot of gentle humor that succeeds. But if you are looking for like some sort of Curb Your Enthusiasm or some Will Ferrell comedy or something, you definitely will not get that out of this movie. Absolutely. Uh, my number three, also a comedy, uh, one that I am in the vast minority on, uh, but I love this movie. It is Fool's Paradise from director Charlie Day of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fame. And uh, yeah, I, I was just absolutely blown away by this. I don't know that I really expected anything out of it. Um, and... You know, it's pretty clearly from the trailers, it's being there meets Bowfinger, and uh, it doesn't really do that much more than that, but what it does do is it, it recaptures the the vibe of those weird comedies that we used to love when we were in like our 20s. I mean, I'm not talking to you about you specifically, Josh. <laughs> you were probably watching some weird foreign films or something, but me, me and my buddies, we're all just, uh, you know, getting drunk and watching these just insane comedies, things like Pootie Tang, things like Kung Pao, like the, the most out there ridiculous movies that you're like, I can't believe a studio gave these people money to make this. That's the feeling I got out of Fool's Paradise. And whenever I just am going through my day since this movie came out and I like, Think about Ken Jeong just being so pitiful in this movie. And I usually don't really like him, but he is so funny here. Charlie Day is ridiculous here. All of the supporting actors, Adrian Brody is just maybe the best I've ever seen him in a comedy. Um, I, I just start cracking up laughing just thinking about this. And I feel like this is like maybe the movie on this list that I will rewatch the most over the years to come. Yeah, I haven't seen this movie and I, it didn't seem like a movie that I wanted to see. Like you said, the overall reaction to this movie was quite negative, yeah. um, but maybe it's something for me to check out. I don't know. I, I like Charlie Day. I got so sick of Sunny in Philadelphia like long ago and it somehow continues to exist. But I mean, as a general presence, I, I find him enjoyable. So, you know, maybe I'll give it a shot. Yeah, I, I would love to hear what you think about it if you do ever get to it. But uh, what do you got for number two? So my number two pick is another film that we have done an episode here on Piecing It Together about, and that is Sanctuary, the excellent, excellent uh, sort of two-hander 
with uh, Margaret Qualley and Christopher Abbott. I know I just was like, Greta Lee, top contender, best actress, but I think I put Margaret Qualley above her, actually. Nice. She's she's so good. I mean, both of them are fantastic. They, they both deserve uh, accolades, but she's so, so good in this film. As this, as a very tricky character to play, I think a character who sort of seems like one thing at at first, and then is is not only you're learning more about her and she's revealing more about herself, but she's also sort of obscuring things about herself. And you know, it's the whole movie is this dance between these two characters as they are wary about revealing their true feelings, and they're sort of trying to manipulate each other, but they're also sort of trying to get to truths about each other which is kind of where you get to by the end of the film. And uh, it's a really tough balance, I think, for these actors to pull off. And they both do really well. Margaret Qualley has the more uh, sort of showy performance, I think, as this dominatrix who is being uh, let go, is being fired by her client, played by Christopher Abbott, who is this very, very wealthy hotel heir and has decided now that he's going to take over his family's company, that he can't be a guy who sees a dominatrix anymore. And she... uh, has some unorthodox ways to convince him <laughs> to mm-hmm. change his mind. And it's just these two characters in a hotel room the entire time. But it's funny. It's thrilling. It's really actually quite romantic and uh, very sex positive. And I think like a few of these other movies that I mentioned, another great thing is it just it never does what you expect it to do at any point leading up all the way to like the very last shot. And that's, I think, what I loved about it as well. So uh, I think a lot of people have been touting this movie but you know it definitely deserves even more attention i don't know if it's streaming yet but i'm sure it will be soon so sanctuary yeah great great movie i loved it too it didn't quite make my list it's like just below my top 10 but uh yeah i I thought it was excellent and i agree uh margaret qualley's performance is fantastic as is christopher abbott so um yeah great pick and i'm glad you brought it up on the list Uh, My number two is Infinity Pool, which you brought up earlier. And to be honest, my number two and number one are fairly interchangeable because it really just depends on the, uh, you know, the vibe I'm going for at the moment. Like it's, they couldn't be further from each other. So uh, anyway, uh, Infinity Pool, like you talked about, I mean, it is kind of like right in line with the stuff that Brandon Cronenberg has already been doing. He's not exactly stretching himself into new areas but he really is refining a vision and i mean you could kind of say the same for a good chunk of his father's career up until you know the later period um and i think that what he's doing is really interesting really exciting it's definitely his own thing and i we talked about an awesome movie here um i love all three of his movies so far like i am fully on board the brandon cronenberg train and uh You know, this is one that I think I haven't stopped thinking about since it came out. I think that there are so many layers to it. I think you can, of course, just talk about Mia Goth all day. But, you know, you could talk about all the fucked up weird clone stuff that's going on. But I think there are so many other things to get into with this film. And it is just a a true vision of weird sci-fi. And that's what we want from the Cronenberg name. So, uh, and the other thing I would mention, the Tim Hecker score, totally top of the list so far this year. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you on all that stuff. And I have liked all of his movies, Possessor, the other one uh, in between this and Antiviral and looking forward to seeing what he does next. And 
his sister, Caitlin Cronenberg, is making a movie, and I'm yeah. all on board for that, too. Why not? Let's get I'm them sure all it's going to be there. the most fucked up of the three of them. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're to number one. What do you got, Josh? My number one, and this is a movie that I definitely can see maintaining its position here. It's Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Mm. from Kelly Freeman Craig, who is two for two. And like Nicole Holofcener, I wish she made more movies more often. This is her first film since her debut, The Edge of Seventeen, which I also really loved, which was also just an excellent, excellent coming-of-age story. And and this is too. I mean, of course, it has the source material here that is a classic, the novel by Judy Bloom. Um, and it deals with a younger age character than Edge of Seventeen does. But it's just, it's so real and honest and it's funny and it captures so many things not only that adolescent time period but also the time period that it's set in you know she keeps it in the 1970s which is when the book was published i feel like a lot of filmmakers would feel the pressure to update it somehow to the modern day and i love that she didn't do that i love also that this is a movie i think the book has this reputation as being you know, because it's been challenged or banned in certain places because of its portrayal of puberty, which is a huge part of it and is about Margaret, the main character played by Abby Ryder Fortson. You know, she's 11 years old and she's dealing with changes in her body and getting her period and all this stuff is a major, major part of it. But also a huge aspect of this film is her search for meaning in religion. And I think this is something that you rarely see and certainly yeah. not with this level of nuance in a Hollywood studio film. And the way that she explores that, the different faith traditions, the way that this movie is open to all of these different ideas and dealing with the, the inner faith nature of her uh, parents' marriage, um, Rachel McAdams and Benny Softie, who play her parents, one who's Jewish and one who is not really religious anymore, but comes from this Christian background. Um, and it's not providing you with easy answers, just like she doesn't find any easy answers in her quest. Also, Rachel McAdams is so good in oh, this yeah. film as the mother. And one of the things that Kelly Freeman Craig does is expand on that character and give her her own arc and her own emotional journey as she, as a mother, deals with trying to support this child who is struggling and going through things that she herself can relate to, but also, it, you know, can't fully... Uh, you know, guide her child on and is just trying to be there for her. And is just like the kind of mother that everyone wishes that they would have, I think, in this film. So it's just such a wonderful, beautiful movie. And this is a big studio movie. This might be the only like big studio movie that I have on my list. And it totally bombed at the box office, which is on the one hand, not surprising. On the other hand, is a, a real shame. And I hope it doesn't mean that it takes another seven years for Kelly Freeman Craig to make a movie because this is a movie that everyone should see. I didn't realize it bombed at the box office. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, it doesn't doesn't cost like what Guardians of the Galaxy cost. But I sure. think even even on that relatively modest scale, it did not do what the it was meant to do. That, and, yeah, that's a bummer because, yeah, it's great. I mean, it's one of those movies where it's like, you know, I can't think of a single negative thing to say about it. Like, it is just really great. And I feel like everybody should see it. And uh, yeah, I mean, it. There, it's really, really great, and and it's a uh, great pick for your number one here. And yeah, that, that's just a bummer, man. I'm 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 bummed out now. But uh, <laughs> well, I don't mind to bum you out because it's a really it's a feel. I mean, there's struggles with the characters or whatever, but it is a feel good movie. It's a movie yeah. that ultimately is empowering and is about how you can go through these this search for identity and find yourself. And yeah. you know, it's a nice thing to see again. You know, before you return to the horrors that are reality. <laughs> 
Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, for my number one, like I said, uh, you know, if I, if I was in the mood for, you know, fucked up and weird, I would have picked Infinity Pool. But if I'm in the mood for just kick-ass awesome, I'm going with John Wick Chapter 4 from Chad Stahelski. Uh, I know you aren't that big of a fan of this one, Josh, but let me tell you, uh, this movie is everything that I could have ever hoped for from the fourth chapter of this series that has gotten progressively more insane, but also like beautifully made and also funny and just the choreography is incredible and all of the supporting characters are just fantastic additions and they knocked this thing out of the park and I know we are recording this just a couple weeks away from the new Mission Impossible movie and there's no reason I should doubt that that won't top it as far as action movies go this year but I just don't really understand how that would even be possible because this just seems like the the uh, the high end of what is possible with an action film to me. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think, one like the Fast and Furious movies where I feel like I don't understand the trajectory of responses to these films. I liked the first John Wick. I mm-hmm. thought it was really good. And it seems like the reasons that I enjoyed that film are the opposite of what the filmmakers and audience seem to have taken into the sequels. You know, right. that's a really simple direct, lean kind of story. You know, John Wick is mad that they stole his car and they killed his dog. He's getting revenge on this very specific small number of people who have directly wronged him. Mm-hmm. And and it's got great action. It's really, you know, really well staged and everything. It looks cool. And Keanu Reeves is great in that role. And it it, it wraps up. It doesn't need a sequel. But when we get the sequel, I think, well, you know, what they've doubled down on, and especially going into this film, which is so incredible, it's nearly three damn hours long. Could have been longer. Um, <laughs> you know, is this incredibly dense, broke, ridiculous mythology that they just keep adding to that makes absolutely no sense. And, you know, everything goes from this this relatable, I mean, relatable, like, in a certain Ish. sense. Yeah. But you know, you can understand his emotions. He's grieving his wife who's died. You know, people understand grief. People understand being attached to their pets. And, and I think, you know, part of it in that film is that it's an overreaction on his part, but because these emotions are so strong that that's, and he's an assassin, that's how he deals with them. And it's just gone so far away from any kind of emotion that you can understand from any kind of story that makes any sense. It's become this elaborate, insane, essentially like sci-fi fantasy world. Yeah. And even, even the stunts, which are cool, I think because this movie is so long and the stunts also then just go on and on and on and on each individual set piece is like 20 minutes long. I, I feel like I've lost any sense of wonder at these things anymore. They're doing the same kind of thing sort of monotonously. And it's like, it's cool at first. And then it's like, okay, all right, I get it. So I don't know. I, yeah, I'm in the minority on this. These movies are continue to be highly, highly acclaimed. But for me, the high point was the first one. And then it's just gone steadily downhill since then. Yeah. I've got a theory about why it has gotten so out of control with, with the whole, uh, high table and all that stuff. And we'll see if, 
things continue to go in that direction with spinoffs and whatnot, if, if, if what I'm thinking is correct, but, uh, maybe I'll share that on a podcast one of these days. But, uh, in the meantime, I, I hope that we get more of this stuff. I mean, obviously where we leave, leave things at this, I mean, it's really only open for spinoffs, but then again, anything's possible. So yeah, they've already said that they want to make, uh, another one, despite yeah. the way that this movie ends in what yeah. seems to be a fairly definitive way. Uh, I mean, we have the spinoffs coming, right? And and I feel like, I don't know what your theory is, but I feel like to me with the, what the spinoffs are, they're all just like expanding on the mythology. We have the prequel spinoff with the, the continental, the, you know, the hotel for assassins or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we've got the ballerina spinoff with the whole school for assassins. And it's oh, all boy. just more like digging into the elaborate mythology. It's not you know, to me, what would be a spinoff would just be like another revenge story that doesn't have anything to do with the the mythology. And that's not where they're going at all. Not at all. But uh, I guess we'll see what happens. But let's get into some honorable mentions and then we'll uh, shout out some popcorn and puzzle pieces picks. Uh, do you have anything that you wanted to specifically bring up? Yeah, I have a couple. And like I said, I, I kind of struggled to, to, to get uh, yeah. a lot of stuff here. But I did want to shout out uh, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. You asked what my favorite superhero movie is, sure. and that's that's definitely it. Even though I'm not as uh, over the top about this film as a lot of people seem to be, it is just gorgeous. It's also, you know, I would say my favorite animated film this year. And uh, it looks amazing. The, the visual creativity, the characters, the fact that this is a movie where 80% or so of the characters are essentially like the same person. You know, they're all just sure. Spider-Man and yet they, they differentiate them really, really well. Um, it is too long and it does not end like literally it just ends in the middle of a scene and they're like to be continued. And it's like, come on, this is yeah. not a fucking TV show. And even if it was like you would have a better ending than this. So that's frustrating. But I did really enjoy that film um, as far as superhero movies go this year. And I also wanted to shout out Knock at the Cabin, the M. Mm-hmm. Night Shyamalan film which I'm very back and forth on M. Night Shyamalan, but I feel like this is one of his better films, even though it does feature some of his uh, weaknesses, uh, especially the way I think that it ends does not really hold up. He didn't stick the landing on this, but Dave Bautista is so good and Mm. so creepy in this film. And the concept is super creepy where this family is being told that the world will end unless they sacrifice one of their family members. And um, Shyamalan, you know, this is a movie that largely just takes place in this cabin and yet it's super creepy and unsettling just amongst these characters. And, you know, Batista really just carries it. He's so good. I, you know, I like Guardians of the Galaxy. He's fun in those. But this really showcases his acting. So those are my honorable mentions. They're, they're not close really to the top 10 or anything, but enjoyable popcorn type movies that I had a good time with. Right on. Um, As far as I am concerned, I I had written down 10 things. I'm not going to go through them all, but I will say from your list, I had uh, Rye Lane, uh, Sanctuary, uh, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, and Knock at the Cabin. So uh, those were on my honorable mentions. Also, Mafia Mama, of course, I already mentioned as an honorable mention. Uh, Also, The Pope's Exorcist, which uh, is a mixed bag, but as far as like that kind of uh, hokey, you know, kind of camp kind of thing for 2023, like that's it. Like the memes alone make that worth an honorable mention. Um, Also inside with Willem Dafoe was uh, a really unique and interesting film. Even if it doesn't a hundred percent work, I had a lot of fun with that. Also Sisu, which is uh, kind of another form of John wick. 
Uh, that's one I wanted to include. And then my last honorable mention, the Dungeons and Dragons movie that uh, was just a big surprise fun film that uh, didn't do very well whatsoever, probably because it looked terrible. But for people who watched it, for the most part, I think most people had a fun time with it. Yeah, I had a fun time with that movie, too. I did enjoy it. And it's a it's a shame that it didn't uh, do well because it's the kind of, you know, IP driven film that we would want to see because it really uh, feels like it was created with with love and care and actual enthusiasm and creativity from those filmmakers. A bunch of those others I did not see uh inside pope's exorcist uh, sisu i have not seen any of those but you know curious to see those but i will say that if we were doing the top 10 worst movies of the year so far <laughs> mafia mama would definitely be on my list i i just i like halfway through that movie i was like i can't believe this exists this yes. is just so unbelievably terrible it's like boggles my mind that people made this movie it's just yes. one of the worst things that i've seen in terms of like a main you know a mainstream like wide theatrical release film, it is probably the worst of the year, I think. That's the mark of a great movie to me, man. But uh, go into the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces Facebook group. Let's see what we got here. Uh, Paul Hibbard mentioned Past Lives, which of course was on both of our lists. Jason Harris, your awesome movie, your co-host, mentioned Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which was on mine. Uh, Rick Ives mentioned the Super Mario Brothers movie, which, uh, you know, I... As a big Mario fan, I had fun with. I, I know critically it did not do well, but box office wise, the people spoke and they fucking loved it. <laughs> yeah, the people have their choices. So I was sort of, I was waiting for that to be on your list. I remember Sonic the Hedgehog being at number two one year. So I yeah. thought it might end up on there. Yeah. Well, you know, as much as I am more of a Mario guy than a Sonic guy, uh, Sonic has better movies. What can I say? But, uh, Let's see. Joe Black brought up Fast 10 as his number one, uh, which I know you hate, but Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret as his number two. So you never know with Joe. So there you go. That is so true of him. Yeah, absolutely. He also brought up Polite Society, which was another one I was considering uh, for my list, but didn't quite make it. Uh, But it's a fun movie. Yeah, I like that as well. Yeah. Uh, Patrick McElroy brought up Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Also, Bo is Afraid, uh, which is a big movie that didn't make either of our lists. But, um, you know, I I liked, but I I don't know if I quite loved it. Uh, He also brought up You Hurt My Feelings, which you loved, and Showing Up, which I haven't gotten a chance to see yet. Yeah, I haven't seen that either, nor have I seen Bo is Afraid, actually. Um, And I do like Ari Aster. uh, I like Midsommar, and I like Hereditary a lot. And I know Bo is Afraid seems to have been kind of polarizing, but I'm definitely curious to see that and and showing up i'm sort of back and forth too on kelly reichardt but i would always be curious to see what she's doing so uh both of those definitely on my list to to watch at some point me too george hannah wilson brought up blackberry uh your sister brandy bell brought up blackberry and also rye lane and air air a movie that we covered here on the show yeah um which was solid you know definitely something i agree Yeah. yeah yeah it was a good one and then last but not least, our buddy Chad Clinton Freeman brought up Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Guy Ritchie Oof. had two movies this year, and I didn't get a chance to see either of them. So I don't know. Yeah, I think The Covenant was the one that got better reviews. But to me, uh, Operation Fortune was better. Not that they're either one are particularly good. They're, mm-hmm. they're Guy Ritchie. They're kind of in his real, you know, he's a, he's a solid mediocre filmmaker, I feel like. <laughs> And uh, The Covenant to me was like not exactly his strength because it's very, very, very serious and uh, almost 
cartoonishly so, I think. And Operation Fortune is the opposite of that. And I had fun with it, uh, especially I love Aubrey Plaza in that film where she's giving this performance where you're like, I don't know if this character is sarcastic or Aubrey Plaza is like sarcastically appearing in the film. <laughs> um, but either way, it's fun to watch. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, yeah, that does it for our Midway Top 10. Uh, Josh, uh, what's going on over on Awesome Movie here? What is going on? We are, I assume, still uh, in our 1975 season. Yeah, there's plenty left to go. So definitely when this is out, we're in the midst of that, which has been really cool. Lots of really good films in 1975. Lots of iconic films that we're discussing there. So check us out at awesomemovieyear.com at uh, Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram and Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter. And you can check out all of our episodes uh, on our website. Going back many, many years in film history. Uh, I think we've got, we're, we're close to 200 episodes now, maybe. On, Sounds uh, awesome about right. Year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my stuff you can see at joshbellhateseverything.com. Uh, I finally, <laughs> six months late, posted my top uh, first time watches of 2022 that we had done a podcast about. And uh, so very, very sporadically updated website there. But uh, all my other stuff posted on social media. Josh Bell hates everything on Facebook at Signal Bleed on Twitter and at Signal Bleed on Letterboxd. And if you're in Vegas, you can catch me every Friday on the 11 a.m. KTNV Channel 13 News reviewing new movies. Right on. Well, Josh, it's always great having you on these. And hopefully we'll get you back for a regular piecing it together again sometime soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. Hi, this is Wax Tracks Records here on 2909 South Decatur. We buy all your old 45s, your old albums, any type of music memorabilia. Also, we sell music memorabilia, albums, CDs, and a lot. Come on down to Wax Tracks, 2909 South Decatur, or give me a call at 702-362-4300. Thank you very much. All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Josh Bell about our favorite movies of 2023 so far. Let me know what your favorite movies of 2023 are so far. Get in touch with us on social media at PiecingPod or in our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, or you could also contact me directly through the PiecingPod.com website especially if these social media sites all burn to the ground. Uh, that would be the way to do it. Uh, also get in touch with me if you ever want a guest on an episode of Piecing It Together. I'm always looking for new guests. I have a whole bunch of new people lined up for the uh, you know next couple of months, but I'm always looking for new people to join me on this show. So please do get in touch. And, uh, of course, make sure you're subscribed wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. If you really like the show, you can rate and review us, either on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or Spotify. And you can check out the Produced by David Rosen Patreon that I told you about at the top of the show. Lots of great content on there. It's patreon.com slash bydavidrosen. Eh, you know, if you want to support the show that way, we'd appreciate it. So let's close this thing out with a piece of music like I always do. And, you know, these top 10 list episodes, they're, they're big episodes. So how about I give you a preview of some new music that I am working on? That'll be cool. Uh, I am working on a lot of new music for the new year, so you can uh, look forward to that because I, I've got a whole bunch coming. But I'm not going to tell you what this song is called. Uh, I'm not even going to tell you if it's finished or not. I'm just going to pick something out of my folder here in my Dropbox where I put stuff that I'm currently working on. I'm going to pick a track, 
I'm going to throw it on this, and uh, we'll close it out with that. So hope you enjoy this piece of music. We'll be back with more piecing it together real soon. An All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.